My name is Scott Nye, and this is Talking Radical Radio. Welcome to Talking Radical Radio, where we bring you grassroots voices from across Canada. We give you the chance to hear many different people that are facing many different struggles, talk about what they're doing, how they're doing it, and why they're doing it, in the belief that such listening is a crucial step in strengthening all of our efforts to change the world. On this week's show, I will be speaking with Ariam Kim and Amber Burson. There was a lot of rhetoric in the early years of the internet about how it was going to be a radically democratizing and equalizing force. This has, unfortunately, proven to be rather dramatically untrue, as the many marginalizations and exclusions and hierarchies that shape our offline communities end up manifesting in pretty much all of our online spaces as well. One of the sites that sounds like it should best embody the open participatory potential of the online world is Wikipedia, a massive, ever-growing online encyclopedia to which anyone can contribute under various standards established by the community that creates it. Yet a survey by Wikipedia itself in 2011 found that 90% of the people involved in creating and editing entries on the site identified as men. In the years since, there have been a variety of initiatives to understand, challenge, and change this gender inequity, with some success, though a long way to go. According to one of today's guests, the most recent stats indicate that the percentage of woman-identified Wikipedia editors has gone up from less than 10% to 16%. The particular initiative that is the focus of this episode of Talking Radical Radio is called Art and Feminism. It began in 2014, when four individuals living in the United States, Jacqueline Maybe, Sean Evans, Michael Mandeberg, and Laurel Patak, got together to brainstorm what they could do about this gender inequity. All four had been working with Wikipedia, and all were involved in one way or another with both the arts world and with feminist politics. The tool they settled on for tackling the issue was the Meetup. This sort of informal, in-person gathering of people to work together on Wikipedia has been happening as long as the platform has been around. The vision of Art and Feminism's founders was to tweak this established community practice by getting people to organize meetups specifically designed to create an opportunity for more people, particularly more women, to learn how to use the site and to begin contributing content to Wikipedia, particularly content related to feminism and the arts. They began with a handful of meetups on International Women's Day in 2014, but the project has grown quickly, and March of 2017 saw more than 300 art and feminism events in cities around the world. Ariam Kim is the assistant director of the Stride Gallery, an artist-run center in Calgary, Alberta, and she's also a writer and a curator whose work focuses on intersectional feminist ideas. Amber Burson, who currently lives in Montreal, came to the arts and to working in artist-run centers through a background in social justice work. She's currently working on a PhD, studying feminism in artist-run centers. Both Kim and Burson have been involved in organizing art and feminism meetups in their respective cities, and Burson is the regional ambassador for Canada for the Art and Feminism Project. Kim and Burson speak with me about the causes and implications of gender inequities in Wikipedia, and about the ways that the Art and Feminism Project has been working to address them. 
They spoke with me by Skype to phone from Calgary and Montreal, respectively. My name is Ariel, and I am the assistant director at Stride Gallery. And Stride is an artist-run center based in Calgary. We're just about 31 years old, and we present emerging and critical practices and while presenting contemporary exhibitions. We also try to make some community participations and engagements and address issues and intersectional topics that are relevant to our current time. I am a writer and curator, and I went to art school and I started working with artists and centers. I am exposed to feminism through just art and the environments that around me. My practice is mostly about examining intersectional feminism and how race and background and class are all a factor into it, how people identify themselves and how they navigate through this world. My name is Amber Gerson, and I am, amongst other things, the Regional Ambassador to Canada for the Art and Feminism Project. I've been working with Art and Feminism since they started in 2014, I guess, and I've been doing the Regional Ambassador job for two years now. The project is a global project to encourage both female-identified editors to join Wikipedia and to train them, and then also to create more feminist content on the platform. I came to working in the arts through a background in social justice work. I was deeply involved in anarchist communities in Montreal and in Toronto. And when I decided that I wanted to go to university, I thought I would take some art history classes because they were interesting, but also because I thought that it might be an avenue to talk about some of the issues that were important to me with new audiences. So not just preaching to the choir, but reaching a wider set of people. This led me to also working at Artist Run Center. And an Artist Run Center in Canada is generally a government-funded, but not exclusively, project that shows experimental artworks. It tends to present primarily the work of emerging and mid-career artists, so occasionally later career artists present as well. They don't charge to exhibit. They tend to pay artists based on a fee schedule called CARFAC, and they've existed in Canada since the early 70s. There's uh, about 180 of them in Canada currently. So I was working in these spaces, which tend to be more open to showing socially engaged work. And at the time that I was contacted by art and feminism, I had just left my job working at a gallery that focused on working with emerging artists working in new media in a socially engaged way to go take on a PhD about feminism in artist-run centers. So I had this background doing exactly what they were looking for. But when they invited me to take part in the Art and Feminism Project, my first reaction was absolutely not. I'm not interested. I don't know anything about Wikipedia, and that sounds terrifying to me. And, of course, they laughed because I had been giving workshops on cybersecurity, and I had been organizing big exhibitions on what it means to be feminist online, but I wasn't comfortable opening up a Wikipedia user page and making even small edits. So they said, you're the perfect candidate. Could you please organize one in Montreal? And so I tried, and it wasn't so hard. It actually was probably a thousand times less intimidating than I had made it out to be in my mind. And I thought, if that is how terrified I was, and I was coming fairly prepared, probably there's other people equally frightened. So I continued to work with the project. And it's been a big part of my life for the last few years, both as this ambassador position, but also just as somebody organizing an event in my city. My work continues to operate around feminism, access, and of course technology, 
So as a curator, I've created a number of exhibitions that have toured on these issues, and I've also written a number of articles for different arts publications that talk about those intersections. I know that neither of you were part of the original core group that founded Art and Feminism globally, but tell me what you can about that founding. The project started after the report came out around how many female-identified editors were engaging with the platform, and a group of people who all knew each other in various capacities. So the first four were Jacqueline Mapey, Michael Mandelberg, Sean Evans, and Laurel Tack came together to brainstorm how they could address this. They had all been working with Wikipedia and with art and feminism in various ways. Jacqueline as a curator, Michael as an art educator, Sean as a librarian, and at the time she was with Art Store, and Laurel, who was the Wikipedian in residence at, if I'm not mistaken, the New York Public Library at the time. So they all came together informally as people with a, a friendship connection to sort of find a way to move forward, and this is what they came up with. The project, of course, is both very original and not original. Meetups have been happening on Wikipedia as long as the platform has existed. And so a meetup is just an informal, in-person gathering of Wikipedians who are interested in editing at the same time or maybe just having a beer together. But they thought that it was the best tool within the system to change the system. So they invited people to get together on International Women's Day of that year and make massive edits. Talk more about the issues underlying the need for a project like Art and Feminism. What are the barriers that have led to a situation where only 10% of Wikipedia editors are women? Well, just to clarify that statement, it's 10% of the editors self-identify as women. And so there's a number of issues there. And actually that statistic has changed. It's now 16%, which is great. It means that some of the work is successful that we're doing. But some of the reasons are that, of course, the original project started in friendship networks and it grew outwards. It's also a factor of who has time and energy to edit Wikipedia. It takes a tremendous amount of time and energy to properly devote yourself to anything. And I can tell you that I'm a student, I'm a worker, I also have a child, and engaging with Wikipedia with the amount of time that would be really necessary to make radical change on the site, it's just not possible for me. And this is somebody who uses it fairly often. So it tends to be people who do have that time, and that tends to be younger men who don't have the responsibilities of family, who don't have the responsibilities of school because maybe they're out of school or maybe they're in school, but they're in high school or they're in college and not working as hard because they're not in graduate school. And then it often is people who are unemployed who can devote this kind of time. Wikipedia, of course, rewards that. And the more involved you get, the more likely you are to eventually take on a leadership position within Wikimedia. And therefore, it rewards the kind of you have more time so you get more responsibility. And that excludes women. The more responsibility you have, the more likely you are to contribute to the creation of guidelines. Those guidelines often ignore women's contributions and exclude the types of publications that count as official citations for the work of women, not just in the arts, but cross boundaries. And then there's two other factors that I would include, which are the general fear of trolling, which I have experienced online. So contributing and then having your work critique in such a way that is not productive and unhelpful, but also negative and violating. And then the last one is that, and I don't know if this is a widely agreed upon one, 
but I find the platform to be incredibly cold and impersonal. It's a very unsocial platform. It was very much based in code, which tended to be learned more by male-identified people than female-identified people for a long time. Now there's the visual editor, and so that opens it up a bit more. But coding itself is not a gendered idea, but it definitely excluded a lot of people from wanting to engage with something that they would have to learn a whole new coding language for. The coding language is pretty interesting because what I found most astounding at our event when we hosted Art and Feminism was there were so many middle-aged or elderly ladies who were really excited for this event because they always wanted to contribute to these like other amazing female artists or articles they wanted to add to and they had so much knowledge about them and resources like books and catalogs sort of expertise on these subjects and it was just not accessible that coding language and they were very excited to be there and have people sort of guide them through and problem solve as they encounter some problems together as a group. That was very empowering for some people who don't have access to coding language. How did art and feminism initially come to Canada? It was, again, based on friendship networks. So the four originators of the project reached out within their networks and asked people who might be available to host. I think they had originally you know, thought they were going to have like eight satellite projects outside of the New York project. And in the end, I think the first year we had 32 so it was just a matter of networking. The next year that doubled, the year after that it doubled again. And then this past year we had over 300 events in March. What have your experiences been like organizing art and feminism events in your respective cities? So it was just basically a lot of promotion to let people know that there's this event. And there was a little bit of knowledge already in the community of what this was because it's been around and there's press about it and it's been around in other parts of this province and around the arts community. So people were excited to have it in Calgary. And I think there was one in Calgary before this. I think Facebook was the most generative way to get the word out. I've posted art of feminism tutorial videos on Facebook one by one and just let people know that I am available to help them out before the event if they need any help. And there will be plenty of help at the event as well. And we had some volunteers who could guide them through stuff. And then it was also very helpful that there was funding for childcare and some snacks because I didn't expect this, but it was a very long process to just even contribute to one article. So it was really nice to have food around. And a local bakery matched our funds that we received from Art and Feminism. So it was like a good spread that we had. So people came. Most people never edited at Wikipedia before. So we set them up with accounts. They've brought lots of books to care to work on a specific article. And then it was about seven hours and they were just creating content the whole time. And we had about... I think 20 people turn out. In Montreal, the first year, we flew by the seat of our pants and facing. There was no funding for childcare or snacks, so we fundraised for it ourselves. We did some publicity. I partnered with a bunch of centers. I hosted it at one center called Eastern Block here in Montreal, which is not an accessible space, but it was the only space that was free and open to doing it. And in the following years, we really made sure to find an accessible space because that was important to me as an organizer, but also the ethos of the project. 
we promoted it amongst the Artist Run Center network and within my own network, and I, of course, I sent out a press release. But it didn't generate a tremendous amount of press the first year in advance of the project. After it happened, it picked up. And so in the months following the project, we got a lot of publicity. We spent most of the time training people on how to use Wikipedia. At that time, the visual editor was a beta tool, and it wasn't as accessible. And so we were handing out wiki markup sheets so people could have the code in front of them, and we were teaching them very basic coding, which we no longer have to do, which is great. And we also talked about translation, because, of course, in Montreal, we're operating in both languages, so we are talking about the differences between working on an English platform and a French platform. And that sort of has been the way it's worked since then. We've changed venues twice since then. We moved from an artist-run center to a university, working in a women's artist database. And then this past year, we moved to the Les Archives de Quebec, so the quote-unquote National Archives of Quebec, and their library, which is a wonderful space to be in because they had a ton of resources for us. And it just followed the same pattern of working with people to learn about the platform and then editing from a list that we crowdsourced. So in the past, I and a small team came up with a list of people who would be great to have teachers for. We used the database of Canadian women artists as well. This year, we also reached out to a bunch of community groups and asked them to send in lists of people in their community that were underrepresented or not represented on Wikipedia to create pages for. What is the importance of doing this work? of bringing more women-identified editors into active participation in Wikipedia? I think it's a matter of multiplying the narrative. I noticed this because we were trying to be Calgary-specific with the content and just thinking about how much legacy or visibility that male artists had in relation to female-identified artists. Even just looking at that sort of small example, I think it shows what kind of narrative is prominent, and that could be possibly because of what kind of contributors are there on Wikipedia. So it's important to multiply those voices, and I think it will directly result in how diverse the content is and how equal, for the lack of a better word, distribution of sort of information there is on Wikipedia. I completely agree. It's it's both a matter of quality and quality. So if women-identified editors are not active, then the quantity of work that relates to their interests will be diminished, and also the quality. So we use the example of baseball cards, which tend to be favored by men, but not exclusively. There's often a full-length article, so that would be the equivalent of five or six types of pages, for each individual card, but if you look at the equivalent of a young woman's hobby, let's say friendship bracelets, that was a stub article for a long time. So stub article is just a handful of lines uh, with no image and no citation. So we're talking about a lack of visibility. When it comes to female identified artists online, you have a lot of information about men and their work. And if you go to pages for women, you often have pages, but they're shorter. They're less detailed, and they often relate more to their personal life than to their achievements. So mentioning their famous parents or their famous partner, the primary information before their achievements. And so working through making subtle edits and changing that language is really important. Give one or two examples each of kinds of content that you're particularly interested in or excited by that ended up on Wikipedia because of these events in Calgary and Montreal? 
So there is this amazing art writer and critic in Calgary. Her name is Nancy Tapsley. And her name, if we searched in Wikipedia, came up so much because she's cited in many articles talking about all these artists in Calgary, Alberta, and Canada. She wrote for Canadian art for many, many years, and she's also a prominent curator, and she also got like Governor General's Award in arts journalism, and she still didn't have a page. And everyone in this community was excited to make a page for her and also sort of link all these other articles on Wikipedia who cite her. That was amazing to find out how many places cited her work, but she just didn't have a page on her own. And we have lots of books and actual print material published by Nancy, so we were able to set up a really good bibliography as well. That was pretty inspiring for us. In Montreal, I think the work manifest as creating pages for the Women in the Canadian Women's Art History Initiative database. So that's been really inspiring. This is a, a physical database. Only about half of it has been digitized, period. And so to watch these women develop an online presence through Wikipedia has been really inspiring. The database focuses on creating women artists pre-World War II. So it's a whole history of women's art that was otherwise ignored. It's not a part of textbooks. So that's really lovely. One that I worked on that I'm particularly proud of is the page of Jacqueline Wong-Nguyen, who's from Montreal, lives in Stockholm now. I've been working on this page for over a year. She's an artist and a curator and a social organizer. She's definitely worthy of a Wikipedia page for all the notability reasons, and there's no conflict of interest in creating a page, but for some reason, I was consistently having the page shut down by Wikipedia editors, and so finally getting it up and going was really a lovely moment for me, and what was really inspiring was not just that it finally went live, but that when it went live, there were notes on it from people in the Wikipedia community who said, there's nothing wrong with this page, it's being shut down due to sexism and due to an editor's distrust of the Art and Feminism Project. And so you need to stop flagging this page. And so to have a community rally behind Mm. the work was really lovely. Does that kind of conflict come up often? So there's a number of reasons that content can be rejected, and some of them are totally legitimate. For example, there was an event last year where, without intending to, a professor had students create conflict of interest edits on a page. So they were all editing teachers. And of course, that's a conflict of interest because they have a direct relationship. It's in the context of the classroom. And so those were all slides and deleted. And of course, that is within the guidelines of Wikipedia. In Montreal this year, on a radio station, a host went live on Women's Day to say that she had tried to create pages for her female colleagues. Her male colleagues had already had pages. She was trying to do it live and they were flagged for conflict of interest. So they were all taken down immediately creating pages for your colleagues while at work and then announcing it on the radio, of course, is a conflict of interest. So those are clear problems. But, of course, they get muddled into this, are women being targeted for the work that they're doing category? However, in terms of targeting, there is quite a bit. So we do see people that are clearly identified with the Art and Feminism Project. So, for example, my bio on Wikipedia states that I work with this project. We tend to get flagged, our articles get flagged for deletion, automatic deletion, more often. We tend to have more difficulty getting things to pass. We have definitely seen as an organization that on the days that the events happen, there's, I don't want to say care because it's not quite the right word, but there's more care taken to the pages that are edited about women artists than if the work had been put up on a different day. So we do see a targeting. Fortunately, 
Wikimedia as an organization is very much on board with the Art and Feminism Project, and there are many, many people as part of the larger Wikipedia community who are willing to help support these articles. And so that includes going in and making changes to support an article and make it stronger, because often if you're a new editor, you need that kind of help, regardless of what the content is. And it also includes writing these support notes when an article is flagged for automatic deletion. And Amber, talk a little bit more about what's involved in your role at the national level as the regional ambassador for Canada for the Art and Feminism Project. Like I said, the project has really grown. It went from eight projects amongst friends to around 300 this year. My job is to corral all the Canadian projects and also to encourage new ones. So I have a mailing list of all the artist-run centers, museums, galleries, libraries in Canada university clubs that might be interested, and I do constant outreach to them, seeing if they'd like to organize an event. When you organize an event, you have access to all our resources. Those are online for free. Anybody can access them at any time through our website. But we can also provide you funding in the month of March for childcare and for snacks. So we encourage people to organize in that month. I also am there to help support people work through the logistics of things like childcare. And then I can help people with their press releases. I help prep people for doing radio interviews if they need help with that. And then I also do follow-up with them at the end of the events. So making sure that they submitted their metrics reporting. So how many people came to the event and what they worked on. And so we collect that data so we can have hard data sets on what happened during the event to report back to Wikimedia. So for listeners who think that art and feminism is an interesting and important project and who think they might want to be involved in some way, but who live in parts of the country where there aren't already art and feminism events, what can they do? They can always organize an event. So all the organizing resources are on the art and feminism website. They're under the organizer's toolkit. So there's a full toolkit on there with step-by-step instructions on how to create your own event that can be modified based on your needs. Currently, they're only in English, but the goal for the next year is to translate them into hopefully both mm-hmm. French and Spanish. There's also tutorials through that website that teach you everything from information about gender bias online more generally to how to insert an image into the wiki comments and what the wiki comments are. So there's that. But then, of course, if you want to participate and you're not interested in organizing an event and you don't want to reach out to somebody who might be, you can take on this work at any time in any place. So it's great that this event happened in March and that it happened over the International Women's Day week to create a critical mass. But the reality is that people are working on this all year round. And so anybody can get involved at any time. They can always reach out to Art and Feminism if they have specific questions, and we will always write back and give any kind of support we can. If we can put you in touch with a Wikipedia in your community, so somebody who's had technical experience working on the platform already, we will be able to do so. And that's it. It's not actually as scary as it seems. Very, very user-friendly once you open the website. You have been listening to my interview with Ariam Kim and Amber Burson about the Art and Feminism Project. To learn more about it, go to artandfeminism.org. To find out more about Talking Radical Radio, the guests, the theme music, and the ways that you can listen, or to suggest topics for future shows, go to talkingradical.ca and click on the link for the radio show. On the site, you can sign up for email updates or follow us on Facebook or Twitter. 
I'm your host, Scott Nye, a writer and media producer based in Hamilton, Ontario, and the author of two books of Canadian history told through the stories of activists, Gender and Sexuality, and Resisting the State, both from Fernwood Publishing. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you tune in again next week.